Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. When we take control of our lives and our destiny, we're a small country, but we punch way above our weight. Like, I'm filming now at this stage, to be honest with you. I thought it was one of the hardest things to do. It was horrid. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Another €200 Euro voucher for Foot Solutions to be one of the programme this morning. Listening out for footsteps in the snow throughout the morning. I'll give you two and I'll sneak in the third set of footprints and you have to count them and tell me how many footprints you hear. That's coming during the morning. Also, I want you to tell me your dream job. We talked about this yesterday but never got around to it. It was a crazy busy Monday. So your dream job. You'd be amazed what people... Who, they did a survey in the UK. Don't they always do a survey in the UK? You'd be amazed at the things that people want in their new job. The ideal job, their best job. Like they want 50 grand a year for a four day week and they want a boss they can go and have a point with. That's the general gist of it. So, what would be your dream job? Have a think about it during the morning. Also, we'll be crossing live to South Africa to a very senior health correspondent with one of their health journalism agencies. They have an entire agency devoted over there to health journalism. And we'll be talking to a very senior reporter from there live on the show about the latest developments with regard to the Omicron uh, variant of COVID-19. But first, here at home, uh, all sorts of things happening. Uh, CMO Tony Hullohan met the three government party leaders last night and Health Minister Stephen Donnelly. Uh, Ronan Dinn was there as well. Philip Nolan, Killian de Gascon. I bet you there was a lot of laughs in that room. Not. Uh, the newspaper's full of it this morning as to what's going to happen. Uh, the star has Jesus, Mary, Joseph and the wee Donnelly. <laughs> it's it's a makeup of a crib. It's very funny, actually. Uh, Mirror has, oh my God, Stephen Donnelly, after his comments yesterday, getting 
the, the absolute you-know-what taken out of him in the papers this morning after his comments. Well, yeah, you can go to the panto, but don't bring the kids. I mean, God almighty. It's panto or play date, says the Irish Daily Mail. Ministers shift burden of COVID controls to parents, says the Irish Independent. The Echo has children need to limit their social contacts. And the Sun has a front page of the Get Out Clause. Again, Stephen Donnelly uh, done up as Santa. He's not coming off best in the newspapers this morning. Let us go to the Examiner and their Deputy Political Editor, Elaine Lachlan. Elaine, good morning to you. What is going to happen at the Cabinet meeting today? Yes, well, a number of issues and items being discussed at Cabinet today after the three leaders and Stephen Donnelly met with the CMO last night. They got an update on uh, COVID and and how it is uh, transmitting in the community. They were told that it has stabilised, but that health officials are still very worried about how it is being transmitted among um, children, especially mm. kind of that primary age group of children. So in front of that, we are going to see recommendations go to Cabinet around what kids should do, how much activity sh- kids should be involved in. And we're talking about the pantos, we're talking about sleepovers, yeah. uh, Christmas parties, children's birthday parties, all that sort of um, activity, social activity outside of school. Mm. And what essentially the recommendation going to Cabinet will be is that parents should limit the social activities that children are involved in on a weekly basis. Mm. What I was told last night is if you have a, a pantomime scheduled and a play date scheduled, just choose one this week. So essentially have the amount of social contacts that yeah. your children are, are having on a weekly basis. Don't have a panto and a birthday party in the same week. Exactly, exactly. So choose one or the other or certainly look at the number of events and activities that your children are involved in mm. and and cut back on it. What about masks in school and masks on the bus for the over nines? Yes, this will be another recommendation um, that will be brought to Cabinet. It will be an extension of what we have already for second level students um, or kids over the age of 13 that masks should be worn in schools so that's over thir- anyone in school over third class and then on public transport in retail and other public areas where pa- masks are worn now children over the age of nine should be wearing them and mm. um, now there is an exemption for children with special needs or yeah. additional needs yeah. they won't be required to wear them in schools this will all be voluntary too not compulsory it'll be up to the parents will yes it? Uh, well, it'll be up to the parents, but up to the schools, really, to implement the same as we have at, at second level. It's advice. Um, there'll be no legislation um, backing this up, but it will be advice coming from the Department of Education mm. down to the schools. And it'll be expected that students will go along with it. How about travel into and out of the country, Elaine? We talked about everybody coming in, even from this, I read this this morning, even from the UK requiring either a PCR or a clinically applied antigen test. Yes, and this is new, of course. Um, The COVID digital search will remain in place and no sign of that being stopped or ended anytime soon. Mm. But on top of that, what the government are suggesting or the cabinet will discuss today is 
this requirement for proof of a negative either PCR test or antigen test. Mm. And as you said, it can't be the antigen test that you take yourself, you bring it home from the, the pharmacy and do it yourself. Mm. It would have to be professionally administered as well. This would be saying. like you'd so go to the pharmacy or might be a pop-up pharmacy at the airport or something that you would get your antigen test there. Yes, the details of that have to be hammered out yet, but it would have to be a professional yeah. is what they're saying. So and how likely is that to work alongside the, the common travel area, Elaine? Because we were being told yesterday that the common and the day before that the common travel area will exist, will, will continue to to be f- f- involve freedom of movement. How is that going to work? Yes, well, again, it'll be for people coming in from all countries, it appears, and, and the the cabinet do seem to be suggesting that it would have to include the UK as well. So you'd have to show your um, your proof of a negative either PCR test or antigen test on entering the country. Um, so it seems like that would be the rules that we'd be in place and, and mm. other countries would have to work around that and people coming from other countries would have to adhere mm. to those new rules. And indeed, the, the workaround that the border provide that won't apply here because British airports, i.e. Belfast, for example, they do require a positive, a negative test to come in, even as we speak, don't yes. they? Yes, exactly, yeah. Okay. Um, so it, it does appear that they are going in that direction now. Slightly different to what we had expected, but it does seem to be on, in light of this new variant that we don't really know a lot about yet. We're still finding out a lot about, and it will take perhaps around two weeks for the WHO yeah. to really get a handle on on how transmissible this variant is, whether it, the vaccines work on it, um, whether they're effective and how dangerous essentially okay. it is. Two, two last ones briefly. Extension of COVID passes into hairdressers, gyms, other such retail outlets. Anything going to happen there? Nothing on that this week anyway. Obviously, the government um, and ministers have said that in the context of COVID, everything is always on the table. But we don't expect um, those sort of measures or any additional restrictions to be discussed this week. It will all be around asking children to limit their social activities the mask wearing in schools for children and on public transport, as we discussed, sure. and then the travel into the country are the three main elements that will be discussed this week. And lastly, important to finish on some good news, Elaine, when we can. And I think they were told last night that spread of the virus and severe illness uh, is on the wane in the 70s and 80s. In other words, the boosters are working. Yes, that's something that the CMO was able to tell the three leaders um, at that meeting last night, that there is good signs, initial signs anyway, that the boosters are really effective and really efficient um, and preventative. So it does look like uh, everyone and they would be, as you said, in the older age groups and the vulnerable age groups are now getting their 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 boosters and they are working. Okay, all right. Thank you very much for being with us on the opinion line, Elaine Lachlan, deputy political editor of the Examiner. More will come from cabinet um, during the day, but how do you think children will be wearing or will be asked to wear the masks on the bus in the shop over the age of nine in school from third class up? In terms of travel, anybody coming into the country 
likely to be asked to have a PCR test or one of these properly conducted antigen tests, not something you do on the kitchen table at home before you head to the airport. A professionally conducted antigen test to come into the country between now and Christmas. How do those things sit with you? 1850 As I say, with regards Omicron and the latest developments and what we know, because it's important to focus on what we know uh, rather than what we think at a time like this. We'll be going live to South Africa uh, to speak to a well-known senior health correspondent there about Omicron. That's to come. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. They can call me. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne Teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. Friends at Foot Solutions back with us this Christmas. Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade, a 200 euro voucher on the show every day, inviting you to give the gift of happiness to your loved ones with a Foot Solutions gift card this Christmas. Free your feet and the rest will follow. Asking you to count footsteps in the snow. I'll give you three sets of footsteps. You need to count the total number of footsteps I give you. I'll tell you about the first one. I'll tell you about the second one, but I won't tell you about the third one. You'll have to listen out for it. So here's your first set of footprints for today. I'm not going to repeat it. That's your first set of footsteps for today. Another one coming later. You need to count up all the footsteps. 1850-715-996. We have been following since the summertime the Owenakura story. And it seems to change now week to week. The original closure date came and went. So now what seems to be the residents and their families in a state of continuous uncertainty because they do not know what is happening with the Owenakura Centre in Middleton. There were some more meetings held towards the end of last week and I spoke with Councillor Liam Quaid and indeed with Maureen whose brother is a resident in the centre and we were supposed to use these interviews yesterday but Monday was so busy that we said we'd hold them over until today. So Liam another Monday another development possibly in Onakura. Now who did you meet and what's going to happen as a result of that meeting? Hi PJ. Well, last Thursday, myself and the other East Cork councillors met with local HC management uh, in County Hall. So we met Michael Fitzgerald, the Chief Officer, Dr. Sinead O'Brien, Executive Clinical Director. They were the main people who spoke. Uh, there was also um, a guy named Mark Kane, who um, is from the maintenance department. So he would be in charge of the, the premises and building upkeep. Um, the management briefed us that they intended liaising with Cork County Council and uh, local housing associations about the possibility uh, 
of building new housing units for mental health service users on the site of the Onakura Centre. Mm. Now, this sounded like a very promising breakthrough um, initially, but on further questioning, it transpired to be a, a completely notional proposal. So there was no budgetary commitment backing mm. that up, and they actually had no clear outline of the scope of uh, residential provision that they were thinking about. So no sense of how many how many people would could be accommodated there. Right. So this was more something that came up in conversation rather than an actual proposal on the table is the sense you got? Well, it, it was something that they they came, you know, to, to kind of talk about. Um but there was there was no there was no detail really to what to, to what it was. Um and, and they hadn't taken any steps as far as we could see um to that end. Now of, of even greater concern to me about that is um, they were adamant that any new housing on the Onakura site, if it came to pass, so like what we're talking about here is a three to four year time frame yeah. at the least, if it did, if it did happen, any new uh, accommodation would, would not be 24 hour staffed as the Onakura is and as all of the other community residences are in North Cork, um, West Cork, etc. So basically, if this accommodation materialised in three or four years' time, it would only cater to the more high-functioning service users, people who are who have a greater level of independent um, living skills. And for for those who would need 24-hour staffed care, the more likely alternatives for them would be ward-based settings in St. Stephen's Hospital mm. um, and St. Finbar's Hospital. And I've talked to you before about how in, in, in one of the wards in St. Stephen's, you can be sharing um, a dorm-style room with up, to, with up to five other residents. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's falling very short of, of what's required. There was another development at that meeting on Thursday uh, that you wanted to tell me about. That's right. Um, and this is something I would very much welcome. And I, I, would, I commend HSE management um, for confirming at the meeting that they will appear before the Oireachtas um, uh, Health Committee to answer questions about the proposed closure and its impact on the East Cork region. Um, this this arose out of a referral that I made back in mid-October along with eight other um, public reps from the Cove and Middleton areas. Um, basically, we, we had that meeting that, that you, you would have documented yourself on the 21st of September yes. with the Mental Health Oireachtas Committee um, there was an awful lot of unanswered questions that came out of that that we wanted to follow up. Um, so the Health Committee had agreed to send a delegation of TDs and Senators to visit Onakura and St. Stephen's Hospital for comparison last week. But unfortunately, that was that that had to be concerned had to be cancelled because of rising cases in the community, COVID cases in the community. Um, but they did agree to um, invite the HSC to a, a standard meeting, and they have also invited the Mental Health Commission. Um, so I think that's that's an opportunity, I suppose, for there to be, you know, quite intensive political scrutiny of of what's happening. Liam, are you in any way more hopeful? than you were when we first discussed the future of Onakura? I would have to say no, and I think it would be politically naive for um, for public reps to welcome the latest developments in regard to notional talks with Cork County Council about housing units. Um, and and the, reason, the reason that it would be naive is this. Um, when, when people with this level of difficulty are placed in services like Onakura, it can take years of painstaking therapeutic work yeah. for them to make very gradual progress. And 
the decision to to remove the service, it's like ripping out the foundations of a support system for many of these residents. And it should only be happening as an emergency measure and as a temporary measure to resolve building issues. Um, we, we heard we heard an awful lot at the, at the meeting on Thursday about moving people to more independent living situations. Um, and that's that's something we all agree with. But there are a certain cohort of, of um, service users who require the framework of 24-hour staffed care in order to flourish and in order to make that gradual progress. And those people have a right to live in their own communities, just as do the more high-functioning service users. I, we, we really need, I think, all of our political representatives getting behind them, because otherwise the, the, more, the most vulnerable are going to get left behind. Liam, I'll leave it there. Thanks again for the update. Thanks, PJ. So Maureen, we've spoken before about your own uh, family member, and I imagine this is very worrying times for them and for you. But on the basis of what you've heard back from Liam about the meeting in County Hall last week, how do you feel about the process now? Um, Well, I suppose to give an overall view is that we were informed at the end of June that the centre would be closing. And we're here at the end of November and we still don't know what the plans are. So in other words, we've been in totally uncertain waters for the last five months and there is no end in sight. Mm. The only thing is that the centre closure has been delayed But the only reason for that is that placements apparently weren't secured before the announcement of the closure was made. So it's an extraordinary situation to be in that a health service would treat people with mental illness in this way. So however traumatic it's been for the families, I can't even begin to describe how traumatic it is for the residents. Your own family member who is a resident, how are they feeling about all this? Um, Well, we're very close, so I'm in regular contact and obviously providing all the support that I can. Um, And it's impossible to say because people will always put a gloss, a happy gloss, you know, and just say they're getting on with things and stuff like that. And I suppose there's, you know, a certain amount of relief that everything didn't happen as fast as was originally planned. Yes. But I mean, we've had two meetings to date with staff about placements, but nothing concrete was on offer. And I mentioned the uncertainty is the hardest part, not knowing what's going to happen. Exactly. And, you know, this feeling that, you know, they might come in and kind of sweep everybody out very quickly. Um, Is there even a reassurance available that that won't happen, Maureen? No, there's none because, you know, I've obviously been in touch with several levels of management and also um, several layers of government. And we just keep on getting the same response back. That extensive consultation is happening with family members and residents. And that wasn't the case for a long time. And when it did eventually start, um, the problem was that it wasn't meaningful because we weren't talking about any concrete replacements. The other thing, and the big thing not to be forgotten here, is that with the proposed closure, the service is being taken away. Now, 24-hour services are necessary for some people. So if you try to replace it with a day service or with a partial service, it's not going to work. 
In relation to something else that came out of the meeting that Liam had last mm -hmm. week at the County Hall was this notional plan for replacement housing to be built on site. Now, if you hear that, you think, oh, isn't that a great idea? Replace what's there now with new housing. Looks great, but there's a but. There is. Well, first of all, it doesn't, it, it wouldn't house the, the 19 people that were originally there. That's the first thing. The second thing is there's no plan for a 24-hour service. So we're looking at taking away services. What replaces that in East Cork? Nothing. So again, you know, there's a big problem with people being taken out of their area. The other thing is that has planning been sought? No. And how long would it take? So if the centre was to close, and clearly it's not in such a bad shape that it's dangerous because the residents are still there five months on. Yeah. So all the urgency about closure um, would seem not to be backed up by actions on, part of, on the part of the HSE. That's the first thing. So then, um, like, the, 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 the other thing about that is that why wasn't that planned in advance? Like, why are we five months down the line and suddenly this idea appears out of nowhere, but it's not backed up by anything and it's not backed up by logistics? What do we do with the people who are there for the next three to four years? Why wasn't this planned in advance? I mean, there are serious questions for the HSE to answer here. Now, a development also coming from Thursday's meeting was the agreement by HSE management to go before the full Eroctus Health Committee. Does that give you any more uh -huh. optimism that something might happen? Um, it's very hard to judge um, until we see the outcome of the meeting. Obviously, I'm optimistic in the sense that I don't think that when the closure announcement was made that the managers thought they'd be here in November. The HSE is a body which is publicly accountable. So if questions are asked, then the answers should be there. We're supposedly living in a democracy, you know. Um, but, you know, there's, as, as I said, like there, there is a duty of care. The, the decision needs to be reversed. Do you hold out still, Maureen, hope that that might happen? I think it has to happen. It's it's a matter of not giving up until the decision is reversed. Because there are not other suitable places available. We have in writing from the HSE that the reason for the closure was that my brother deserved better. So I'm still waiting to see what the better is. There will be more family meetings, so I hope we get answers to that. Well, he was one of the people that I met when I visited uh, a number of months ago now. So please convey to him my best wishes, Maureen, when you see him. Thank you. I will, of course, Vijay. And we'll talk again very soon. OK, thanks a lot. That's the latest update on Ona Curra. Uh, we pledged to stay with the story uh, across the year. Hi, Jerry. Well done for following that story. It's a disgrace. It has to be 24 hours and replace the Ona Curra Centre. The councillors have to insist any facility that's built replaces the centre and provides the same service. It's a disgrace that the HSE didn't have alternative arrangements in place, particularly when they knew about this four years ago. Government need to step in the HSE don't know what's happening. It's a disgrace. Just on restrictions, when is it coming in that you need tests before entry into the country? That'll come up after the Cabinet today. It's been discussed at the Cabinet today and obviously we'll, we'll, we won't hear then until afterwards. But nothing yet.
So the Cabinet to discuss it today. Uh, no masks in primary schools. I think it's disgraceful and inhumane. The government have an appalling track record of not removing temporary measures that end up long term. Well, as regards the disgraceful and inhumane bit, I think you should listen back. I will try to find them before the end of the week. Listen back to the words of pediatrician Dr. Neve Lynch who was with me on the opinion line, I think it was Friday, either Thursday or Friday, and I put it to her that some people would be saying masks on, prim- on kids in primary school is a form of child abuse. And she said to me very coldly and calmly, she said, I have seen child abuse. Trust me, it's not child abuse. And then the Department of Education must install HEPA filtration systems in our schools. Do you agree? I 100% agree. Whoever sent that message in. 1850-715-996. Staying with COVID. We are going live to South Africa next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Let's get down, let's get down to business. We're back to the music. The Quartz 96 FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10 minutes survey now. And you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96 FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Now, ever since the story of the Omicron variant broke towards the end of last week, we've pledged on the opinion line that what we'll bring you is what we know, not what we think not what we surmise. We will bring you, as best, uh, to the best of our ability, what we know. So I thought it would be a good idea to go to South Africa, to Johannesburg and the Bekisisa Centre for Health Journalism. Their senior journalist, Aisha Abdul-Karim, joins me live. Aisha, good morning and thank you for taking our call. Good morning, and thanks so much for having me on the show. Very good to speak with you. So talk to me about the Omicron variant, its discovery, and how it was realized that it was something different about this particular uh, virus. Mm, So I think that what you have to understand about uh, South Africa is that we have a very extensive genomic uh, surveillance network in the country. Um, And so what that means is that we have teams of scientists throughout the country um, who on a regular basis go through samples of the virus um, from people who've been tested for COVID and they um, basically try and um, understand the genetic makeup of, um, of the virus samples from people who've tested positive. And it's through this mechanism that we are able to monitor our epidemic and to get a sense of if there are possibly new variants in circulation. Um, And so what happened was there was a spike in infections in Kauteng, um, in a particular district in the province. Um, And so by doing the sequencing, the, the network of scientists detected this new variant, which is now called Omicron. Um, And that's basically 
it's it's not that we're for sure that it started here. In fact, there have been cases detected in several other countries. Um, but it's basically through this surveillance network because we do regular sequencing um, that South Africa was the first country to report the variant um, mm-hmm. and to classify it um, with the World Health Organization. Um, so at the moment, the first case um, was reported here in South Africa on the 24th of November. So it's really it's really quite new. Um, you know, we're just in the first week um, of its discovery. So there's still a lot to figure out about the variant. There's still a lot we still have to, to learn about what its mutations mean and, and what the, how this new version of the virus is going to behave. What's been the response in the scientific and medical community? Like, does it look as if Omicron might overtake Delta in South Africa. Could it put the hospitals under pressure? Are they already under pressure? So it's still very early on. Um, As I said, we've only just detected the variant, but we are, the scientific community does believe that it's going to overtake Delta. Um, And that's because based on the sequencing that's been done, at least in in the Gauteng province, we've seen that it has already um, it already makes up seventy five percent of infections, which means that it is very close to overtaking Delta. And the um, scientists believe that you know by the end of this week, it will have become the dominant variant, at least in this province. Um, and now that it has been detected in all nine provinces in South Africa. We are pretty sure that Omicron will become our new dominating um, variant, which means that it will be the most common version of the virus that's mm-hmm. circulating in the country. Um, in terms of the pressure that it will put on hospitals, we do not yet know how transmissible this variant is, which means we don't know how much faster it is spreading. Um, and we also don't know if it can cause more severe disease. Um, so with Delta, by the time it reached South Africa, there was already a lot of data about how quickly it could spread and how much it would overwhelm the healthcare system, um, just based on what had been seen in other countries. Mm. With Omicron, it's still incredibly new. And so we are doing our best to figure out exactly, you know, what this variant will mean, um, particularly for the healthcare system. Our um, Department of Health is preparing hospitals because we are anticipating um, that South Africa will enter its fourth wave um, by the end of this week. And we know that with each wave, you have to prepare the hospitals. Um, And I think in terms of just, you know, what is the scientific community's feelings um, towards the variant you know, this is something that we've been preparing for as a country. We expected that a new variant would be discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we, you know, anticipated that there would be a new variant by the time our fourth wave hit. So this is something that as a country we have been preparing for. 
Um, and obviously we didn't know what the variant would look like and we still don't really know what its impact will be. Um, but there are a lot of measures that have been put in place to try and get hospitals ready sure. um, for this wave of infections. The response of the rest of the world, Aisha, has been to close down travel from South Africa, restrict people coming into the country, any country from South Africa. What's been the response to those restrictions? Yeah, I mean, you know, the travel bans and travel restrictions, there really isn't a lot of evidence to support them. Um, and there really is no benefit to to cutting off travel to South Africa. Um, I also think that it's a very short-sighted response to try and cut off a country um, for merely reporting this variant. Um, it's, it's not as if... Um, you know, it's not as if this is an exclusive variant to South Africa and mm. restricting travel doesn't stop a variant from spreading. It just punishes a country yeah. um, for trying to be transparent about the scientific work yeah. um, that's being conducted. So I think the feeling is, Aisha, is that this is yeah. where we discovered it. This doesn't necessarily mean this is where it originated. This is where we discovered it. Yeah. So, you know, we know that it's been, it's already been detected in several other countries. So there isn't really a good scientific rationale for, for banning travel to South Africa. And it does, in a way, it kind of does put South Africa on the back foot because it limits, um, you know, not just travel, but when you put bans on exports and imports into the country, through these levels of restrictions, it also puts us in a difficult position where we struggle to access, you know, other things that we may need, um, such as, you know, diagnostic tools, yeah. um, you know, things that you need for testing, medications, all of those things. So I think in the long in the long run, these kinds of travel restrictions and, and imposing these kinds of bans on the country um, really do more harm um, than good. Yeah. Now, I'm speaking to you from, you may or may not know, a country where 90% of the eligible population is vaccinated. That's far from the case in South Africa, Aisha. I believe it's what, maximum of about 25%. How important is it to get across the board vaccination in Africa, in the global south in general, not just South Africa, but all the African nations? How important is it to ramp up vaccination, to get a supply in there? Um, yeah, so in terms of vaccination, it is incredibly important to um, not just to increase supply to the continent, but also to encourage more uptake of vaccines. Um, so South Africa, as you said, we have only fully vaccinated just over a third of our population. Um but when you look at Africa as a whole, you know, the continent is sitting on around, you know, 3% fully immunized. Wow. Um, so South Africa is in a way doing slightly better than the rest of Africa. And we are also in a slightly different position to other African countries where South Africa has, um, you know, engaged in bilateral decisions, which is that we purchased vaccines directly from um, pharmaceutical companies. So 
we have enough supply of vaccines. Our primary problem is encouraging uptake in South Africa, but that is not the case for a lot of African countries who are reliant on the COVAX mechanism. Um, And so there really needs to be more equitable supply of vaccines to Africa. Um, And then more than that, it is about ensuring that uptake of vaccines is equally high to match supply Um, because things like the Omicron variant, um, they really just show that if you do not have sufficient protection everywhere in the world, the virus will continue to spread and will continue to mutate and we will continue to get, you know, these, um, I don't want to say worse versions, but you will continue to get new versions of the yes. virus circulating. Yeah. And, you know, with, with COVID-19, what we've seen is it's not going to just stay in one place. It is going to continue spreading. Yeah. And vaccines are really the best tool that we have to control this virus. And so that's why equitable access to vaccines um, is just so important. Okay, such is the nature of the the virus uh, anyway. Listen, thank you for being with us from Johannesburg today. That is Aisha Abdul-Karim from the Bekasisa Agency. I believe it's an old Zulu word for to scrutinise, Aisha. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for being with us on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 event. Quickly to the phones. Christine, you have a problem and you're wondering, can we solve it for you or can somebody? Good morning. Hello, good morning, PJ. I tell you now, I'm going to America on Friday. Okay. Like early Friday, like I have to leave Cork to go up. I'm trying to book a PCR test, but I can't get through to anybody. All their mailboxes are full. Right. Now, the thing is, as I was telling who I was on to the girl, I had um, COVID to, on the 9th of October. Right. I contact, contracted COVID. Now, I have a search for my doctor. I have a travel search. Everything is in order except to get a PCR test done. And I can't get it done. So would anyone out there know where could I get it? I tried Union Key, can't get through there. The only thing I do know for certain is that Phelan's pharmacies are doing them. Um, Are they an antigen test? And No, they're doing PCR as well. Oh, are they? They are. Oh. And out there at the um, Kinsale Road Junction where they have a, a late night pharmacy, I believe they do them there. Uh, I, know, right. in fact, I know they do them there, but whether they have a vacancy or not, I don't know. But if anybody is doing private PC, I mean, you'll, pro- you'll, you'll have to pay for it if you do it privately. You yeah, know that. I know. I know that. I know. Yeah. And I'm more expensive again, both for harm. I haven't seen my family in two and a half years. Well, there you years. go. So. That's one suggestion. Uh, if anybody else has any others, maybe maybe we can help. And uh, safe journey when you do get to go. Thanks very much. And I'm going to Disneyland. She's bringing me to Disneyland for a surprise. <laughs> well, she left it go. She left it slip. So, <laughs> Good for you, Christine. Have have a safe trip, and, and I hope you get that PCR test. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I do believe that Connor and the team at Phelan's are doing private PCR tests. So maybe they can help Chris. Maybe she can ring them up and check it out. Anybody else be able to help her? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? 
I should stress that uh, in my karaoke days, I did not sing or attempt to sing that Shakira song. Someone just mentioned in PJ as Shakira. That's an image I can't shake off. Trust me. No, never, never even ventured it. I was just the karaoke jock. Others did the singing. Somebody else rang in to say that line I quoted for the Shakira song was a replacement for a far, far muckier line. Ooh, a far ruder line. Yes, it was. They gave me the line. I'm not going to read that one out. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. I'd have to go to confession after that if I did. And someone rang from the airport to say, unless the tech has improved recently, if you have had COVID, your PCR could show a positive result for up to a month. That is why they allow a post-infection cert from your doctor. I just heard they're talking about PCR tests. CHI and Mahan do PCR. They might be worth giving them a shout. I called my doctor, got a PCR test. I had a PCR test last week. Nothing on the website after calling my GP. Got a test that afternoon. <laughs> Eugene says, my perfect job would be doing bird surveys in the Antarctic. Yeah, we were looking at that survey in the mail uh, your dream job generally involves free cup of tea, free coffee, free tea, free coffee, a nice seat, a tidy desk, a four-day week, 50 grand a year, and a boss I could have a point with. Eh, not bad, I suppose. Not bad. Hi, PJ. That lady flying to America won't get a negative PCR. She had COVID in October, so she could test positive for the next six to nine months, says Noel. Don't know how right you are, Noel, but I thank you for the message anyway. And that's why I think you get a cert from your doctor to say you are fit to travel. Uh, but appreciate the message. Appreciate the message. 1850 996 Lots more stuff coming in. I will come back to them, including on Omicron. On Omicron. Yeah, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. Let me go to... Is she there? Oh, I'll read that. Okay, so if you invited someone to your house and they said, yeah, sure, I'll be right there. And on arrival said, just wanted to let you know I have the new COVID variant. What would you say? Asher, no problem. Come in. Or maybe you shouldn't come in. My friends and family are here. You might infect them. What's so different from a country doing the same? Yes, it's not a variant from South Africa, just one they found. But until other countries start testing for it, South Africa have the highest numbers, so all people are doing is protecting their friends and family. And talking to Jack Lambert yesterday morning, I asked him, were we doing the right thing? Is this what we should have done when Delta was around? He said no. And also, I think watching Dr. Nabarro from the World Health Organization was on the 6-1 News last evening. As you know, he's been on with me a number of times on the opinion line. And he said, no, these travel restrictions don't actually work. And he also made the point, South Africa just found the virus. It, there's nothing to say it originated there. They just found it. Uh, and uh, he also said, which was a very interesting interview, he also said, look, we always knew this could happen. We always knew this was a possibility because of the low levels, for example, of vaccination 
in parts of Africa. But uh, we'll come back to this. Let me go to Freya. Uh, because you've had an interesting time, Freya, to say the least. First of all, how is how is uh, Arabella? Good morning. How are you? <laughs> yeah, she's doing well now. Um, she had a cough the last few days, but always we're just building weight up for her next surgery. Great. And how is how old is she now? Yeah. She's five months, but technically three months old. Yeah. If we're going by her like her actual due date. <laughs> yeah. So she was born yeah. seriously premature. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, I had complications by pregnancy when I was 17 weeks. Um, when I was 17 weeks and four days, I had really bad abdominal pains and I went to my doctor and they just weren't like easing up. They were just like period pains. They were really bad. I was bent over in pain. So he sent me on to A&E and I was, see- I was in there half four and I was seeing a half 11. And the doctor noticed that my amniotic my fluid was very low. Right. Um, so he he offered to a bed well, I only live in Mayfield so I said I'll come back in the morning and I had a scan that morning and it turns out there's a thing called P-PROM so you go into preterm labour it's called but without actually going into labour you just lose your waters oh. which um, yeah it comes with a lot of like it only happens to 2% of pregnancies before 34 weeks so it's very very rare <laughs> and in most cases like there's no like there's no reason as to why it happens like if you've no preconditions or whichever yeah. so in my case they didn't know why it happened because like I, I was perfectly healthy otherwise you know yeah but you were nowhere near um, ready to go at that stage like you were worth Near, no, and mm. um, so they started a plan for me straight away in fetal assessment and um, CH and I was like they put me on antibiotics for ten days straight away, and then um, they set up a plan so every Monday and Thursday to go in and get a scan done. So it was a gross scan and to measure the fluid inside my womb, and um, then it was I had to get blood, urine, and swab tests, and then my blood pressure and my temperature taken as well because I was at high risk of infection, especially like sepsis and stuff like that. Yeah. Because the amniotic fluid prevents infection, prevents you know it protects the baby, protects the mother. But yeah. I had I only had like three centimeters at the time. You must have very, been very you must have been scared stiff, were you? Yeah, like, I mean, it was my first pregnancy ever. Like, I never had a miscarriage or anything before this. So it was a big shock, like, <laughs> to have this happen. And I was only 24 as well. Like, I'm only 25. So it was mad, like. <clears throat> so they managed to stabilize you, I think, at that stage. What, what, and what happened yeah. after that then? So I was in and out for about 10 weeks. And um, I was referred to fetal abnormalities by Dr. Dan McKenna. And he, I saw him at 19 weeks and he basically gave me like a 1% chance of survival. Wow. Yeah. Um, and over the waters, it was like, it was hard well, sorry, for... Sorry, 1% for you or 1% for baby? Baby, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because of the waters, it was very hard to see like how she was developing, like what her weight was, you know, her length. Um, to see if her like sometimes like a pee prompt can happen if their 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 bladder and kidneys aren't working, but hers seem to be working, but there's never a definite answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, around seventeen weeks is when their lung development starts happening as well, and um, they weren't sure how developed her lungs would be if she was born early and stuff like that. Yeah. So this went on for about ten weeks, and like the percentages kept going up and up, which is good. Um, and then I when I was twenty seven weeks, um, I. I had that morning, I had like um, like watery red discharge. So I went in for my regular scan and they said everything looks fine on the scan. 
And then I went home, that was grand. I was lying in bed then at half six that evening and I just started pumping blood out of nowhere. Ooh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I was brought to Amy straight away. Like in a matter of seconds, I soaked through a pad, my underwear, pants, and onto my mattress straight away. That's scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I was brought to Amy straight away. They took me in and um, it took them a while to find her heart rate. So I was brought down to high intensity and sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay, Freya. I was like, prepared for an emergency C-section. Yeah. And she was only like estimating like 750 grams at that stage. So she was very small. Yes, you must have been terrified. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. the bleeding was just continuing and they brought me down to high intensity anyway. Um, and like there's so much happening I got like two IVs and at a time you get a thing called magnesium sulfate to prevent um, um, a brain bleed and you get shots as well at 24 weeks to see it just to help with lung development and I had a harmony test as well to see if it was Down syndrome or Edward syndrome they all came back clear so that was good <laughs> mm. um, and then, um, everything kind of started settling down so I was in high intensity for about four days and I was moved to a ward then yeah. So that was okay for a few weeks. Um, I was like, did, it turns out my placenta was rupturing, but like they couldn't really see it in the scans. Like they don't know how bad it was or yeah. how uh, how well it was doing or anything. But she was growing like it was fine. Um, she was doing well for a while, <laughs> and is bleeding. Continue- she's a tough little lady, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, she's very tough. Her tough heart rate was always brilliant. Everything. She? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And like usually, pee-prom babies don't move that much either. She was constantly moving, like, <laughs> and kicking and everything. Yeah. So she was born um, in June then, wasn't she? Yeah. So um, at, on the 18th, I had an iron transfusion on the 17th of June. And then the 18th of June, I had my whooping cough vaccine and I had an allergic reaction to that. So I had, like, antibiotics for a few days. Um, on the 21st of June, then I started showing signs of infection. So, um. Like I had to wear maternity pads constantly over the blood, so every four hours I we changed still, one. And the nurses, bleeding, yeah, every day oh, for those four weeks. Um, so um, the nurses used to check like my pads to see the blood loss and you know monitor it. Then if I had any major blood loss or anything, I'd have to be put on the CTG for a while to monitor her heart rate and stuff like that. Um, so on thirty-one weeks, then I started showing signs of infection. And on the Wednesday, um, my doctors came in and he was like, oh, we'll send you down for a scan, but everything looked okay. So I was like, okay, that's fine. That's reassuring. Like, But I was on the CTG then at nine o'clock, which monitors my heart rate and the baby's heart rate. And her heart rate was always around 130 to 160 and it dropped down to 80. <laughs> yeah. So she was in states of distress. So I was brought down for the emergency C-section again. And um, she was born at 25 to 11 then that night. <laughs> right, so the drop, I mean, that, at that stage, she was 31, three days. 31 plus three, yeah. 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 So you were, I mean, you had what? How many weeks had you left to go? Um, You've about nine weeks left. About yeah. nine weeks left at that stage, yeah. So she was about yeah. nine weeks. I mean, they did a, they did a massive job to, to keep her there and keep her growing. 
Oh, they were brilliant. Like, I mean, I, I, I didn't have private health insurance, but I was literally treated as if I did, you know? Yeah. Like, I joined um, a few Facebook groups to do a PPROM, and, like, unless you're off liability, which is 24 weeks, the doctors and hospitals don't really do much for people in other countries, whereas I was seen straight away, you know? I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, in, you're like... in a great... I mean, in fairness to CUMH, we hear a lot about it. You're in a great place in terms of having the experts there to do... To, yeah. to do it. So, yeah, definitely. So she was born then in June and unfortunately she had a heart defect. Yeah, so um, the paediatrician doctor came up to me at like half two and he said, there's something wrong with her heart and we're consulting Crumlin in the morning. Now, I didn't think anything of it because he didn't say whether it was bad or not, you know. Mm. And so I was recovering from the C-section and I went down at 12 o'clock that day. And um, I just met her. She was intubated, so she had like a breathing tube in her mouth. Mm. And she was on morphine and a few other things just to kind of keep her stable. Sure. And there's what, a drug what, what as well called... What weight was she when she was born for you? Oh, she was, she was £2.15. Oh, she was tiny. Little sugar bag. Tiny, yeah. Little bag of sugar. Yeah. Will, um, you do, will you do me a favour, Freya? Will you let me take yeah. a commercial break? And we got to the point now yeah. where she's born and she's got to go to Crumlin and she's got surgery to have and all of that. So if you take a break, yeah. just draw your breath there. I know it's a tough one. Um, have a, And we'll, we'll chat again in a, in, a, in a couple of minutes, all right? Sounds good. Okay, talking to Freya, who gave birth to Arabella, a P-prom baby. I, I've never heard of this, don't know if you have. We'll continue our conversation next. 1850 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. So I'm talking to Freya, whose daughter Arabella was born in June, a P-prom baby. So it was a pure miracle. I've never heard of P-prom before and Freya's been telling me about it, but it's a pure miracle that she actually got to be born. Uh, afterwards, she ended up having to go to Crumlin. So the story has a lot more chapters in it, Freya, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so she was born the Wednesday and then the Thursday morning I went down to the NICU to see her after I recovered from the C-section. And um, I was only about 10 minutes into actually meeting her and looking at her and seeing how she is. And the doctor came up and said to me, did you hear what happened? And I said, oh, no. And um, she basically told me that either she's one condition where there's no medical preventions can be provided, no surgeries, nothing can be provided. Um, and I'd have to let her go. Or she has um, another one, which she was diagnosed with eventually, um, which requires multiple high-risk surgeries. So they didn't know now, at that point was, which one it was, no? No, like Darfin now, he's brilliant. Uh, he's a doctor in CUMH. He's a cardiatric, um, a cardiac pediatric doctor is what he is. And he, he like, they're the technology in CUMH wouldn't be as high tech as the, all the heart ultrasounds and stuff up in Crumlin. So they only knew whether it would be this condition, like it was truncus or a double outlet right ventricle. So they didn't know which one it was until Crumlin did further examinations and CT scans up there. Right. So yeah. the doctor was telling you it was one of two things. One, they could yeah. do absolutely nothing about. And the other yeah. was a very complex set of surgeries. And only Kremlin yeah. could tell you which it would be. How did you feel? Basically, yeah. How did you feel? Um, it wasn't great. Like, 
obviously I immediately like, broke down crying um, <laughs> like in times of COVID and everything like the nurses came over and hugged me and everything they rang my mom straight away and she came in um, and then um, sorry okay. um, they, they were contacting um, Crumlin as well and Crumlin were sending down a critical care team so to look after like really sick babies to bring them up rather than just a normal ambulance you know mm. but like it was just heartbreaking really <laughs> And how long did it take for them to tell which one it was? So she was brought up to Crumlin that night. Um, on Friday then, a doctor called Terry Prendable up in Crumlin. He's on Arabella's team. Um, he rang me. It was like, I'm fairly sure it's a double outlet right ventricle. So it's called double outlet right ventricle with VSD and pulmonary treasure, what she was originally diagnosed with. Because couldn't like if she was a full-term baby, she probably would have had her corrective surgery and everything by now, especially... But she'd be bigger, but it's the fact that the premature prematurity's kinda of held her back so much. Sure. So this was the one they could fix, but the fix was really, really tough. Yeah, because her heart was so small, like so um, when did she so have like, her first operation? Um so she there was like um she I went off on the Saturday, she was diagnosed on a Monday, but Cromlin don't look after babies under two kg. So she was moved to the Coombe to fatten up basically. Right. Um and she to the Coombe hospital, yeah. So she was gaining weight, she was doing brilliant. She went off oxygen and everything for a few weeks and then they, there's a drug called prostin that keeps the PDA open, which is what we all have when we're in the womb to bring oxygen to the lungs. Mm. Um Arabella's heart doesn't do that, so they kept her PDA open and um Usually when you're born, it kind of disintegrates and your heart just works away. But in her case, they couldn't do that. Um, so they kept the PDA open with this drug. And the, like, the drug obviously has an expiration date, so she was kind of... One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Like, she was disimproving, I suppose, um, when she was about three or four weeks old. Um, so like her, de- like our, de- like our stats would be around hundred percent for auction, whereas her ones were like sixty-five to seventy percent, seventy percent ish. But she was, yeah, the D stats then, what she was experiencing, were only going down to ten or twenty percent. So she wasn't breathing basically. Right, but isn't it, <laughs> um, isn't it incredible what they can do just to keep? Oh, it's her amazing. Ready, ready for the operation. <laughs> yeah. 
She had yeah, her operation so, five weeks in, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, when she, on the 29th of July, she had her operation. She was like, they wanted her to wait till she, uh, she was 2.5 kg, but she couldn't hold on anymore. So um, it was the 28th, she had to be revived twice. And then she went in on the 29th to get a stent into the PDA to keep it opened. <laughs> but she's been thriving since, like, she really has. Like, since then, like, it took her a few days to recover now, obviously, because she was only four pounds when <laughs> she got it done. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was very small, <laughs> um, but she was brilliantly like, um, like this, like we had amazing sport up in Dublin as well when yeah. she was in the coom. Yeah, is she, um, is she home coom- yet? Oh, she is. Yeah, so um, she was brought down to CUMH on the 9th of August to their neonatal for a while, and um, that was a bit rough as well because um, she was diagnosed with an eye condition called coloboma. Madeline McCann had like has it in her eyes. Yeah, the two different colours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and she was diagnosed with that, so they don't know how developed her eyesight will be. Okay. But like, um, coloboma and a hair condition can be like linked to a syndrome called Chard syndrome, which is a five-year life expectancy. And her genetics yeah. tested come back at this stage, so they're kind of thinking maybe she has that. Right. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, but thankfully, that came back clear, and she's been home since the sixteenth of September well, that's now. Brilliant news. I know that you yeah. particularly, Freya, wanted, because it's on their page, we found your story, you you wanted to talk about Blood Bike South because of what, yeah. how they helped. Yeah, they were brilliant now because um, I went home on the weekend just for a bit of a break from the hospital in Dublin, you know, just have a bit of support around me as well, I suppose, be my own environment. Um, the the Coombe Women's Hospital set up a place called Hughes House, which helps um, families with sick babies. So it, it's free accommodation, basically, so you don't have to worry about paying for a B&B or, you know, mm. anything like that. Um, and then I stayed up there. And um, when I came back down home, then I was pumping for Arabella, obviously, um, for the breast milk, because she could only be on that for a while. So I was doing that. And while I was down home, the blood bikers used to collect my milk, meet Dublin blood bikers up in Cashel, and then Dublin blood bikers used to bring it up to Arabella then. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're brilliant. Or even like um, when I left the Coombe Hospital to go to Crumlin, I rented a pump off the um, Irish Neonatal Health Alliance and my pump broke as well one night and the owner, Mandy Daly, came from Waterford to Dublin literally at like 8 o'clock at night it was on a Saturday. I know Mandy. Pump. I know Mandy. Yeah. 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 Brilliant, like. Yeah. So all is going as well as it can be going now, is it? Yeah. Like she got her stents dilated now to fit her size on the 18th of October and due to like, it's like a stent kind of has an expiration date as well. So, um, the plan is now, like, she usually heart babies, their heart is pumping so much, it's taking up so much energy and burning calories that they get tired very easily. So over the last few weeks, that was happening. And um, I was in Crumlin on the 4th of November, I think, um, around then on a Tuesday. And I basically told them she's not feeding as well as what she used to. Um, I updated CUH. I go to CUH every Thursday as well to Dara Finn and his team. And... Um, they they kind of she got five forty mils a day of infantry pepsorb is called which is a high calorie formula for heart babies, and she was only getting four eighty which is it's bad for her like because she needs the full amount so she got her NG tube back in two weeks ago but she's doing brilliantly again since good good you know it's a long road ahead who's who's minding you Freya 
<laughs> well, my mom is mommy. actually brilliant in fairness. Yeah. Like my mom, my, my dad now, they've been a great help. My dad actually lives up in Dublin, so me and him used to go for dinner all the time. That's my true. mom used to drop me up and down to Dublin. I was recovering from the C-section. She was there for the operations and everything. Fantastic. And then my family as well have been brilliant as well. Like my my best friend Shane, um, him and his family raised money for like my stay up in Dublin. Or like my two best friends, Megan and Dylan, used to like bring me places and stuff for... Same with my mom's friend. She brought me up to Dublin a few times. <laughs> so it's been, mm. it's been brilliant, like, it's in fairness. Gonna be, it's going to be some first Christmas. Yeah, I <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it's been it's been great to hear your story. And our, Thank you. our best to Arabella and our best to you and our best to Blood Perfect. Bike South who do wonderful work and to the incredible people in CUMH and in Crumlin and in the Coombe who do yeah. such work for, for tiny, tiny, tiny babies and their moms. Oh, they're brilliant. And their moms. Yeah. Freya, look Let's after yourself. A big thank you yeah. as well to um, my mom works at Driscoll's Bar in Douglas ah. and they, the customers, the staff and my the owners as well raised money as well for um, for me and Arabella while we were up in Dublin and there was a customer in there as well who like had an apartment up in Dublin as well and gave that to us in case we needed it. So big thanks to them as Fantastic. well. Fantastic. <laughs> well, there's a Douglas connection as well as not just your mom working in, in, in Driscoll and I'm almost fairly sure I know who I have now which made it yeah. well, there's another Douglas <laughs> connection because you know Mandy Daly who helped you out Yeah. her mum is Betty Daly who for years was the lollipop lady at the school in Douglas oh really? Yeah. <laughs> small world that's mad tiny world tiny world listen Freya look after yourself look after your gorgeous little girl and thank you for being with me on the opinion line look after yourself 1850 715 can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Celebrating their 18th year of Christmas at the Everyman, the Everyman Sunday Songbook team present a Rat Pack Christmas. Playing the songs of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr and more. It takes place on Sunday, December 12th. Access all areas. Rising Irish Five Piece Just Mustard have just announced a new album to be released in early 2022 and they return to Cork for a show at Cypress Avenue taking place on Thursday 20th of January. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or any live streaming events coming up by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Lisa. On Cork's 96FM. This Friday the 3rd of December is International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And there's a really talented young graphic artist working with the Cope Foundation as part of that, to mark that day. Amy Begley is uh, the designer of some fantastic work across Cork City for the, the Light Up Cork Christmas fundraising campaign. You can find more details of that at lightupcork.ie. Amy, good morning. Good morning, TJ. How are you keeping? Good. Lovely to talk to you. Uh, how did you get involved in, in, in graphic art and, and graphic design? Um, well, it's actually, <laughs> it's actually funny. I actually studied animation. I never did graphic design at all whatsoever. Um, but how I got into graphic design was that I had to do an internship 
um, relating into my art industry. So, of course, there wasn't any work experience or internships for animation, um, for me anyway. Yeah. So I said, Emma, I'll do something actually. And I said, what about graphic design? So I got a place in Mallow called Uprint and I did graphic, I did training there. And I just picked up some skills that were really like amazing. So then because of that, then I was able to apply that in when it came to like any projects that Susha Arts was going to be developing or if um, the likes of like that now light up for Cork or any projects to do, at least I have another skill set to use. Yeah, yeah. And clearly having a disability isn't stopping you in any way. No, of course not. Um, not anymore, anyway. I, you know, I really, my attitude towards it is that people with different abilities or disabilities, I prefer to say different abilities, yes. but everyone is different, you know. Um, we shouldn't have to, um, we shouldn't, have to adjust or to adapt to the world of society or the world itself. The world should be able to adapt to us individually because everyone is different, you know? Like, just because I have a disability doesn't mean that I can conquer anything in the world. It's just a different ability. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, like we all have our own little, you know, quirks and we all have our own own difficulties in general, you know? Um, Mind your past mind just has to be with communication and learning, you know, and, you know, <laughs> that's okay too. Yeah. I and love learning. You, you've been traveling with this work as well. You've been to you've, yes. wait, Brussels, I oh, think. That's right, yeah. So I work, so I'll just give you a bit of background. So I work with Susha Arts, which is an organization that supports people uh, with disabilities through the arts. So, um, Susa Art is with Port Foundation, and like that now, we um, won an award for art and culture, um, supporting people with disabilities, and Brussels, um, I don't know, but do you know the um, ESPD? Yeah. Oh, you know them? I've really heard good. about them anyway, so, yeah. Oh yeah, well, so they had a conference and we won an award through their conference and the best of all was that I got to design. They asked if I could design a certificate and an award, like my own art pieces as, a, as an award to present to the uh, people, to the organizations that, um, you know, that uh, won the award, I sure. suppose. Sure, fabulous. Oh, that was amazing. That was amazing. Um, it was a great experience. Let Brilliant. alone that I was able to design uh, the certificate and the award. We also got one of my own originals as well as my own design of certificate. So yes. it was very amazing. It was, oh, and like Brussels was only one of them, you know. Yeah. I went around Italy, Amsterdam. You know, we we go around to these uh, conferences and you see what we do is that we try to connect with other organizations and share our ideas and our inspirations and you know get other ideas of other organizations that could help to support people even more like for me just that alone it's just so honorable to be in an organization 
that I can help, you know, because I love helping people and like I'm an advocate and for someone like me with a disability, advocating for people that are in the same boat as me, you know, it's so inspiring. I just want to help people to, you know, be themselves and that they don't have to adapt to the world whatsoever. The world should adapt to them, you know, and anything is possible. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me then about Light Up Cork. Okay. Oh, that again, honored again. Like it's amazing. Like with all, like I just feel so honored because like I love designing in general and it's upskilling, you know. But the fact that like oh, it's amazing. So Light Up uh, Cork is a fantastic. Um, it's a really really great donation. Actually, it's a great charity. So. It's the support Marymount that I know of. And I was asked if I could design a background for mm. the website. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure, no bother. So I was doing that and it was amazing. So they asked if I could put any landmarks uh, on Cork. So I was like, okay, sure. So I did up a Cork's landmarks and they're behind a lot of like houses really colorful houses so yeah. i wanted to give that christmas look yeah. so that was really fun and that's more illustration design based so what i really like about it is that like so you have a blue sky right but every donation that's made to a loved one start lights up in the sky so it would be really awesome if the sky was full of stars and it's, it? it's amazing i really i really enjoyed it and you know it's so nice for Coke foundation to be able to trust me and they are willing to um willing to trust me to be able to deliver something like this yeah. and like i'm getting paid to do this stuff as well so a paid artist with disability is just overwhelming it's it's spectacular, you know. It's brilliant. Lightupcork.ie is where they can see, people can see yes. all of your work. Yes. Yeah. All right. Amy, listen, I wish you every success for the future. Oh, thank lovely, you so Lovely much. to talk to you on the programme today. Oh, and thank you for having me as well. It's really nice to be able to go on this and, you know, spread the positivity of anything is possible when you put your mind to it and like the support is out there so just to go and grab it you know ain't that the truth anything is possible <laughs> if you put your mind to it thanks Amy Amy Begley um, lightupcork.ie just look at that website and you'll see her work thanks Amy 185715996 now there's an update from Munster Rugby as you know there was a positive case in the camp over the weekend as you know because of Omicron they couldn't initially get out of South Africa then we thought that they could get out of South Africa they had one case 48 people in their camp including players officials and support and all that just They've just revealed that further positive cases have come back from yesterday's round of PCR testing. They're testing again this morning. Players and staff are all as well as can be expected in this challenging situation. And they thank everyone for their best wishes. It doesn't say whether they will be able to travel anytime soon. But we have a number of cases now in the Munster Rugby Camp who were in South Africa for two matches in the new rugby championship but those two matches of course cancelled now and they're 
as we speak, still in South Africa and trying to get out of there. Uh, their whole season could fall down around them because of this, uh, for various reasons, but we wish them all well. You know you come across something new from time to time, a new term that you have never heard before, and you're wondering what that is. Helena Tubridy, what is fertility coaching? Good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? And which particular rock have you been living under? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd like to say I've been doing this for, gosh, over 30, 35 years. I hate to admit it. It doesn't feel like it. But really, I guess, you know, having been a midwife, I'm a psychotherapist. And I am, you know, bringing all my experience to bear for people who are trying to conceive, who may have been, you know, um, down the road of IVF, had failed cycles, going into other cycles, have had miscarriage or stillbirth, you know, Mm -hmm. very sad pregnancy loss. So it really is, I guess it is therapy as well as solid practical advice. I've talked to all those people over the years, you know, people who've had fortunately multiple miscarriages and they've tried IVF and they've tried everything, but it's the first time I've actually heard the term fertility coach. So what do you do? I guess I bring all of my skills and my experience into one area to help people who are ready to have a child uh, or a second or a third child if they've had a delay or a current miscarriage or ectopics or fatal fetal abnormalities. So it really is helping with the emotional side um, as well as the practical physical aspects of enhancing and optimizing natural fertility and choosing the best route, you know, giving them advice, you know, is IVF the best bet? Are you prepared enough for it? Is it ideal for you? Or do you need medical restorative treatment? You know, what is um, the best route? You know, is somebody going to have IVF in Ireland or abroad? Are they going to have donor egg or is that a bit premature? Are they a same sex couple? Are they single mother by choice? So all, you know, the different um, areas, families in Ireland are changing and growing. We have more same sex couples. Mm. Um, So I help again, you know, a little bit with advocacy as well. Um, the sense of fairness and justice, reproductive justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I, all I of these kind of things. I was just going to ask who are your clients, and it sounds like pretty much everybody. You know, I'm, oh gosh, it's unbelievable. You know when they say you never work a day in your life if you enjoy it? Um, I really do because I meet people from all walks of life. Fertility issues affect people right across the board. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have, what you don't have. And it can come as such a shock if you've had one or two children and you are faced with secondary infertility. It can come as a shock if you're having recurrent miscarriage and, you know, there's no apparent reason. And I always say that men are the Cinderella's, the Cinderella fellas of fertility. They are under-investigated, under-diagnosed and under-treated in the fertility equation. So I always bring them in as well. Even though I see people individually, we we speak on Zoom. I do Zoom calls Mm. in Ireland, in France, Canada, um, you know, around the world. And it's been really great. Um, and it means people are at home. They are very comfortable. So it's practical, solid advice. It's like an audit, a fertility audit. Right. Where are you at? What are you doing? What could be better? Because what I think you're here, I'm hearing from you. And look, so many other people have said it to me with their own experience. There's a reason if you find it, it can help. Exactly. And that would be I would be into that forensic. And I really, you know, I work in tandem with a lot of doctors and clinics and the sense of I'm really into having adequate investigations done 
um, you know, general medical health, you know, all of that, layering it up, joining, joining the dots, really. And that's why I've actually prepared uh, an online self-paced course for people so that they can access what I do and, you know, do their own plan make you know organize it themselves and see what they can do and because i also use you know hypnotherapy to help with the whole visualization the whole integration the whole emotional aspects of it in my course there's over five hours of my very best signature hypnotic meditations and you know it really is so important because you know fertility is declining across the world uh male sperm counts are dropping and people are accessing more and more very expensive high-tech um, approaches. And you need to be able to get the best out of it. Mm. So, you know, there's no point in finding down the line, oh, whoops, I've got a blocked fallopian tube, or I have an untreated thyroid, yeah. or, you know, you need to do it logically. And that's yeah. where I think people can sometimes dive in a bit too quickly, you know. Well, if so anybody's listening to us, Alina, if anybody's listening to us and would like to contact you or find out more about your work, where can they go? Okay, so Instagram is a really good port of call. My website is helenatubridy.com and I do free discovery calls so people can have a quick chat and see, you know, if I can give them a few tips, some advice, um, or if they want to kind of, you know, have sessions with me. Um, it is, you know, I, it's, as I say, something I love doing and uh, they're very welcome to contact me. Okay, good to catch up with you. Good to speak with you on the opinion line. If anybody is having problems with their fertility and having problems with pregnancy, maybe they, maybe it's a, a route you'd like to go down. HelenaTuberdy.com. Uh, you'll find her on Instagram. Thanks, Helena. 1857 15996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See MIG.ie. What Jimmy ain't got my eyes on a prize, that's me. Manchester City are the champions. Number one, that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick. Salah! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal. Whoa, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the sport. The Premier League Live with Now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Cork's 96fm app. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Quick reminder to you, the legendary Santa Calls are back with KC and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96FM. You simply go to 96FM.ie right now and fill out the form for your chance to get a call from Santa in the North Pole. It's with McCarthy's Interiors and Gift Shop, Douglas and Balancholic Shopping Centres. Call now for festive bedding, gifts and decor. See McCarthy's.ie and stay listening because we could be calling you 
on Cork's 96FM. 1857-15996. Remember your last set of footprints. When will I drop them? <laughs> Only I know that. And you'll have to tell me the total for the day. 1857-15996. There's a message there about South Dock and doctors. I'll come back to it. But I want to go to Orla McCander because there's a very interesting fundraiser for the Peter McVerry Trust wonderful organisation that do so much for uh, people struggling uh, with homelessness and trying to find homes for them but some of Ireland's leading chefs are to get together on a live cookout or a live cook-in is it a cookout or a cook-in Orla McAndrew good morning Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Is it a live cookout or a live cooking, and who's it's, involved? It's a it's a live cook along, and it's happening today from four o'clock um, live on my Instagram page. And we have some phenomenal chefs who are coming on board. So we have the amazing Rory O'Connell from Ballymaloo. Um, we have Chef Connor Spacey. Uh, we have Erica Drum, who cooks on the Six O'Clock Show. Mm-hmm. We have Cork's own Patricia O'Flaherty, which is a touch of magic. Um, Nessa Robert. We have 35 chefs who are coming on board, and they're going to share some of their top festive uh, tips, tricks, and recipes. Cool. All in aid of the Peter McVerry Fund. And all through your Insta page. Yes, exactly. We're going to go live this afternoon from four, um, and we'll have people on from the Peter McFerry Trust telling us all about what they do and what the money we raise will do for the Peter McFerry Trust hmm. and we will go straight through till about half nine this evening right. so it's you, going to be a mega mega cook along. You had a huge interest from the chefs, they were, they were queuing up to get into this. Well do you know what, I, it was, I, it's, it's been phenomenal I put a call out about three weeks ago just in the hope of doing something I didn't know who would get involved and the amount of amazing people who jumped straight on board is just has blown my mind and um, Ballymaloo Foods actually are coming on board and giving their annual sponsorship live on air around five o'clock this afternoon so we're absolutely thrilled with that altogether. Fantastic. Now would there be a book come out of this? That That is the aim, that was the original aim um, that we might compile maybe two books actually, one that can be used by the service users of the Peter McVerry Trust and one that we can maybe make some kind of a glossy coffee table offering. Um, but to that end, actually, there's another um, group of chefs called Gather and Gather who have already started that. So we're hoping that we might be able to contribute to that as well. Excellent. So how can people log on to see? I, I, I take it it's free to, to watch, is it? It's completely free to watch. There's going to be a live donation button on each of the lives. And I don't know if you know, PJ, but um, Instagram only allows you to go live for an hour at a time. So we will run over five hours. And in each hour, we'll be trying to outdo the last hour. So we need all of the donations, all of the contributions that we can get. And we want to make this absolutely an amazing success for the Peter McVerry Fund. Why Peter McVerry in particular? Do you know what? Do you know how it came about? My mom rang me three weeks ago and she met a young girl on the streets in Middleton and she was distraught. And she wanted to know what we could do on that young girl's behalf. And feeling very helpless on my own. I knew that the Peter McFerry Trust um, would be the right people to work with because they are phenomenal and they put the service user right at the heart of everything that they do. Peter himself is an extraordinary individual. I've interviewed him many times. He never ceases to blow me away. He's a walking saint, actually. I, I just adore that man. He's amazing. Yeah. 
wonderful guy and a f- superb cause. Good luck. So it's Orla McAndrew on Instagram and Instagram will do everything. Just hit the donate button and watch and enjoy. Good, good luck with it. Thanks uh, so much, PJ. Hope, Thank you. Hope it goes really well for you. All in aid of the Peter McVerry Trust. 1850-715-996. Right. Good morning, says this message. I'm wondering if anyone has heard anything regarding a forthcoming crisis in South Dock due to South African doctors not being able to travel to Ireland. As you'll be aware, a lot of doctors that cover South Dock are South African. My understanding is most get a three-month work visa. But now with the new Omicron variant, there's a major concern that a lot of doctors who would cover South Dock would be unable to travel. And it seems there are no measures in place to counter the inevitable shortfall of doctors. South Dock is already under severe pressure. This will plunge it into further crisis. I would say we've heard nothing to that effect or nothing about that uh, from official sources. This is just, I guess, a person asking a question as they're perfectly entitled to do. Uh, and we're dealing with what we know rather than what we think. But we're just putting that out there. And it is true. A lot of doctors that do their time with South Dock do come from African nations. They do come in on work visas. They are short-term visas, a lot of them. So if it is a thing that they can't get in here over the next few weeks and months, it could certainly cause a problem for a service like South Dock. But we have heard nothing official uh, to that regard. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. What you read now in a week's worth of newspapers, Ross, Mm -hmm. is the amount of information that someone would have received in their entire lifetime 100 years ago. Wow. Wow. So just in like a week's worth of newspapers, that's how much scandal and gossip they would have got 100 years ago. And how did they get through life not knowing that Carol Vorderman looks great at 60 in a pair of leather pants? Yeah. Or or that Ryan Turberty opens up about his new socks. (laughs) Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at milldc.com. Cork's 96FM. It's now nine members of the Munster travelling party of 48. Jerry Thorne is reporting in the Irish Times in the last couple of minutes. It is nine members of the Munster squad and they've been moved now to a special quarantine hotel in Cape Town while the remainder of the squad have another round of PCR testing today. It seems to be flying through uh, the Monster Squad, ripping through the... Which it could, and there was an article in one of the papers yesterday, it could actually destroy Monster's entire season before it starts. Now, we talked months ago on the programme to some very talented young writers... Uh, Kyle and Higgin, Kyle and Darren and Daniel, about a book called Shadow, about a dog called Shadow. And Shadow was the product of their very active imaginations. Shadow is now the subject of a second book 
called Shadow the Christmas Story. And the illustrator of that book is a lad called Daniel McCarthy, who did an awful lot of this work while he was in hospital. Uh, He has a rare condition called cystinosis, which causes him to spend quite an amount of time in hospital. And he did the illustrations for the new book, Shadow the Christmas Story, while he was in hospital, does them on his iPad. And I've been talking to Daniel and to his dad. Hiya, Daniel. How are you? I'm good. Okay. I think I had either you or some of your friends on for the first Shadow book. Yeah, I think you did. Tell me about Shadow first and then about the writing of the new book. Um, Shadow is basically a dog. He's really smart, but in the new book he's missing his home and he wants to go back to Belgium. You drew this book, you wrote, wrote this book while you were in hospital. Um, yeah, I did. I did some parts of it while I was in hospital. So what gave you the idea for the book? Um, well, one one day that Daniel and Kyle, who are also the authors of the book, were um, sitting down reading Black Beauty, and they said that they should write their own book. Yeah. yeah. And then they recruited me to be the illustrator. Very good. Very good. And, and you like illustration. So you came up yeah. with the picture of Shadow. Yeah. He came out of your imagination. Yeah. Good for you, young man. So then, who had the idea for the Christmas story? Um, I think my principal, or else one of the boys. Right. And how long did it take you to, to do the illustrations for that? Um, about two weeks. Really? Really? How do you go about illustrating a book? Um, what I do is I first work on the ones that um, take place at the start of the story. And then I work on the ones that take place during the end. Okay. So they write the story and then you draw the picture to match the story? Yeah. I see. And is the book out and can we buy it? Um, yeah, so. Congratulations. Put me back on to your dad there. Oh, yeah. Dennis, you must be fierce proud of this young man. Oh, yeah, we're after the first of him. Yeah, he, he puts this illness behind him and just gets on with it. Yeah, that's it. Like, he's always been the same. He never lets to get him down. Yeah. And how young was he when he started to draw? Oh, he was, like, really young, as I'd say, about three or four. There's a great talent there, and, and yeah. two two beautiful books. It's not too many people have two books under their belt at the age of thirteen. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great to talk to you guys. You too. Cheers. That's Daniel and and his dad with me there in the last day or two. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Speaking of books, um, we're talking about a, a number of books over the next couple of weeks that you might like to buy as Christmas presents, and some of them will be children's books. Now, I would not have associated a children's book with my next guest, Dave McCullough, from the RTE newsroom, uh, joins me. He's just written a book uh, called The Great Irish Politics Book, which comes on the back, David, of a huge two-volume biography of De Valera. So, so why a children's book? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, the uh, 
the publishers uh, came to me and suggested it, and um, it sounded like it could be something that was both really interesting and a bit of fun, and um, completely different to uh, the last thing I, I wrote, which, as you mentioned, was uh, a bit longer than this one. So the idea really is to try and give um, kids who uh, you know are curious about... Um, about the world around them and curious about how it operates and um, give them an idea about how, how things work, how politics works. Yeah, So many young people, I think, say, I've no interest in politics and I never vote and who cares anyway. Are you trying to change that? Well, I'm trying to give people a bit of encouragement to realise that um, particularly kids, you know, that children, that their voice matters, that their uh, opinion matters and they might not feel like it at, at, at the moment but uh, in par- part of the thing I say in the book is is you know any clever politician knows that even if you don't have a vote at the moment your parents have a vote and your wider family has a vote and in a couple of years time you'll have a vote too and the problem with people who say oh I, I don't vote because it, it doesn't change anything you know decisions are made by the people who turn up so I I'd just like to encourage people and impress upon them that you know if you turn up your voice w- will be taken into account and you can make a difference mm. now it's written in a very uh, child-friendly style but also it's very brief accounts of how our political system works and and who the important people are i compliment you by saying an adult can pick this up and find it very very interesting well, funny enough, a couple of colleagues in the newsroom said that they thought they might uh, need a copy before the next general election, whenever it is. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, pe- people talk about our political system being complicated. It's actually, as you well know, not all that complicated once you get the hang of it. So I was trying to explain in a simple enough way how proportional representation votes because it uh, works. Because not only would that help people uh, whenever they get, get to have a, a vote, but it also allows them to follow one of the greatest spectator sports in the world, yes. which is an Irish general election count. So, you know, when you and, and I are, are down at a count centre next time out, hopefully this uh, book will help uh, other people to, um, yeah. to understand what's going on. Would you encourage parents, David, to encourage their children to take an interest in politics? Well, I would because I, uh, out of pure self-interest because yeah. uh, hopefully uh, those kids will grow up to listen to the radio shows like yours and, and watch the 6-1 News and so on. But I think it's more important than that. Like, you know, there is sometimes um, young people in particular have a feeling of powerlessness that nothing I can do can change things, that, you know, I can't have an influence on things. But you see that, that people can. And, and just look at the, the, the climate, uh, the, the, the school strikes for climate change, how much difference that has made by putting an issue on the agenda in a way that can't be ignored by the system. So there are ways that, that people uh, can have an influence and, and uh, you know, help to, help to change things. I think it's great. I know, uh, you know, uh, a lot of children um, are not going to be interested in, in this particular area, but there are a lot of children who are. And I know sometimes uh, we in the media, we tend to use terms uh, all the time and we assume that people know what they mean, like a ratus, like uh, passing legislation, uh, you know, powers of the presidency and all this sort of thing. And, and it can be a bit off-putting, but I think if people are armed with the basic vocabulary, mm. uh, which I hope this book helps to do, in a fun way that I hope makes it uh, easy for people to dip into and, and, and read and all the rest of it. And thankfully, I had a great collaborator in Graham Corkin, the illustrator, who did just a fantastic job on the illustrations, which I think make it really accessible and, and hopefully fun uh, to read. And, and uh, hopefully it'll be in a few Christmas stockings uh, on, on Christmas morning. Yeah. 
in the job you do and in the job I do, we 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 don't talk about our political heroes because we can't because we you know. But from the past, looking back into the past, who would you? I notice a lot of yours from from the older times would be women. Yeah, um, you know, there's there are kind of stories there that probably haven't been. Uh, haven't been told as much because there was uh, such a focus on the, the the male figures, but there are interesting uh, f- uh, female politicians who really made a difference. I mean, one that is is on my mind a lot at the moment is Cork's own Mary McSweeney, um, because obviously the, the the centenary of the treaty signing is coming up, the centenary of the treaty debates. Um, and she had a very prominent role in that. And uh, even though I don't necessarily agree with uh, much of what she said, um, her speech in the Dáil on the treaty debates, two hours and 40 minutes uh, <laughs> to a uh, pretty hostile audience, because um, a lot of them uh, resented a woman take, uh, even, even speaking and, and taking such a prominent role. But that was a tour de force and, and uh, admirable in itself. Although I should add that... Uh, a lot of people at the time said her speech went on for so long that it probably lost her aside more votes than it gained. So there you go. I suppose counterproductive as well. Yeah. You see, bre- brevity, brevity is important, which I suppose for a book like this, on the back of the dev books, brevity was a, was a welcome a welcome exchange change change for you, David. I can't help but notice it's coming up to around the anniversary of when I think we all cringed for you watching you on the television. Do do people still bring it up, having to apologise? Well, uh, not really, no. Uh, occasionally on Twitter, but look, I um, I, I made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I was foolish. I was stupid. I uh, apologised at the time, and it was sincerely uh, meant, and I think it was received as such by by most people. Um, perhaps a, a fool's pardon in this particular instance was uh, was extended by the Irish people. Yeah, I think a few people have stepped over lines and discovered that behind it all, we're, we're human and we make and we make mistakes. David, thank you very much for being with us. Good luck with the book, uh, David McCullough, author of the Great Irish Politics book, and of course presenter of the Six One News. Thanks, David. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Quick reminder to you, thousands of you still getting together to help fight homelessness with Cork Simon organising Christmas jumper days and since we started talking about this of course all the rules have changed we're loads more of us working from home now and all of that that doesn't matter a jot because you can host your Christmas jumper day whenever you feel safest doing so or however you feel safest doing so you can do it at the office you can do it at home you can do it online with your friends and colleagues or have a big Zoom and line everybody up and have 20 or 30 of them on screen and take pictures. And that's how you have your Christmas jumper day. You can get a fundraising pack at CorkSimon.ie and join Cork's 96FM in helping fight homelessness in Cork. In the UK, they have a load of new restrictions have come in. Like you've got to wear a face mask on the bus or on the train. You've got to wear a face mask in the shop. And there's loads of restrictions that they've done away with 
in England particularly, because Scotland and Wales still have restrictions, but in, in England they've done away with a load of them. And now that Omicron has raised its ugly head, they've just brought them back in like that. There was none of this farting around with Neffet meetings and cabinet meetings and meetings late into the... None of that, none of that farting around. They just did it. <laughs> Do you know, which... I mean, since we heard about it Friday, we've had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Now there's a cabinet. So, well, maybe we'll get something tomorrow. And even then, it'll only be a recommendation. It won't be a rule. We we are very slow I and mean, very iffy sometimes, do you know? 1850-715-996. Tomorrow's the 1st of December, which means people are thinking about Christmas. <laughs> I've been thinking about it since about the middle of September, just for something to look forward to. But people are starting to think very seriously about Christmas and about presents. And as always, the sustainability argument comes in to presents and comes in to cards and decorations and food and trees. And there's a big online thing going on at the moment. You'll find it. And do I have a real tree or do I have an artificial tree? Taz Kelleher from The Useless Project on Instagram. Hey, Taz. Hello, how are you? How are you getting on? Good. So I've always had a grow for a real tree. So my main tree yes. in the house is always a real tree. But the argument might be, well... Also, I would have an artificial tree. And on average, I can get 10 years out of an artificial tree before I have to change it. Yeah. So if you have an artificial tree for 10 years, then it's at that point that it becomes the more sustainable option comparing to a real tree. Because you got to keep into think as well, of course, that, you know, an artificial tree, for the most part, it's made from plastic. There's huge associations with fossil fuels, with plastic and fossil fuels is what's leading to climate change and climate chaos right now so you know when it comes to an artificial tree after 10 years of use it comes it becomes the more sustainable option really because i have one in particular which my mom gave me a couple of years ago and she had it for several years at that stage i'd say it's well over the 10 years now it's a gorgeous tree we put it up in the kitchen every year but you're saying only maybe after 10 or 12 years do they actually begin to to match the sustainability of the real tree even though it has i'm i'm killing a real tree I pick it up, I use it, and then it dies. Yeah, so the most sustainable option, even more than that, is, you know, getting a tree maybe that's in a pot. There's there's rental schemes all over the country right now, which is really amazing. It just makes the most amount of sense that you rent this Christmas tree in a pot, you use it for your Christmas season, they, they take the Christmas tree back and either look after it and keep it maintained for another year until it's rented out again, or else they plant it. Which makes such perfect sense, doesn't it? I'm like, how how has it taken this long for these rental schemes to come about? They're Mm. so logical. Um, Or you can buy one in a pot, as I did last weekend. bought a small one. We have three or four Christmas trees at home. I bought a small one in a pot last week, and it's going to sit out the back. And after Christmas, we'll just let it grow into a bigger one, and we keep it out the back. Yeah, exactly. So, like, there are loads of options. That's a the most sustainable option. Full stop is a potted tree. Whether you rent it, whether you buy a potted tree and plant it yourself, whether you keep it in a plot in a pot outside your front door in your garden and then just bring it in every year, like, and keep mm. reusing it. You know. I suppose then thousands of trees just go back and get mulched and squashed into bark mulch for the garden. That's sustainability in itself, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like making sure that you're disposing of your trees in a sustainable way. Because even when it comes to artificial trees, you you might be shocked to hear that 14% of artificial trees are thrown out just after one year. So, you know, when they're covered in that tinsel and the plastic and the owners are like, I'm just not going to, I can't deal with this right now. The tree only cost me 20 quid. I'm just, I'm just going to dump it. 13% or 14%. Mm. Um, of artificial trees are just thrown out after one use, which is absolutely bizarre. It's just um, a ridiculous waste of money, <laughs> to be fair. W- w- waste of money and just waste of resources. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, whether it's your artificial tree or your real tree, like making sure that your real tree is being disposed on, disposed of in an eco-conscious way as well. Of course, there are you know lots of like rugby clubs and GAA um, clubs and stuff that take christmas trees they do kind of a christmas tree collection sprinkled all across the country so making sure that you're availing of that as well to make sure that you know the organic matter from the tree is going to be used as mulch as you said or used as you know wood chipping in a playground or whatever it may be Mm. now when it comes to cards and and wrapping where to go yeah so you know a lot of the time as well with wrapping paper and cards with uh, like glitter and sequins and all that kind of fun stuff it's non-recyclable so it's kind of mad to think that wrapping paper gives maybe this you know 20 seconds of joy and then it's literally ripped apart and then that's it and it's, it's going in the bin and you've to i, I, I can't hang on is, I pa- is, is paper not recyclable dry clean paper is recyclable isn't it so a lot of these, a lot of wrapping paper actually is covered in a plastic film. Like any of them that are shiny or shimmery or, you know, kind of have that like mirror look on them or mm. have glitter on them. All of those are plastic particles, meaning they're non-recyclable. But, but haven't we told, been told now in the last couple of months, Taz, that, that soft, soft, those softer plastics, we can put them through now for recycling? So it's a little bit dubious, to be honest, on the whole soft plastic debate, because only some recycling firms are actually doing that. So unfortunately, it's not a, you know, it's not an across the board decision. Right. It's not like, so a different, different recycling companies, different refuse companies. Yeah, but if, you're, if your own refuse company is taking softer plastics, is it okay to put out the wrapping paper? Yeah, if your own refuge is, yeah. Right. It, 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 it's, it's still... It's still not the best option, though, because, you know, such a tiny, tiny percentage of the materials that we put into our recycling bin actually get recycled, a tiny, tiny proportion. So where at all possible, just trying to save things from going to waste. So, you know, if you have a family and, you know, there's there's presents for maybe like six people under the tree, maybe thinking of using like pillowcases, you know, and then you can, t- open, you can take your present out of the pillowcase and then it can be reused or wrapping it up in a tea towel or a towel or a tablecloth and it can just be reused year in year out because the amount of waste that's generated over the Christmas season upwards of you know like the, the, the amount of waste in a household increases to like increases by about 25 to 30 percent over right. the Christmas season yeah so maybe wrap something in a Christmas tea towel at least <laughs> yeah a Christmas tea or whatever you have you know like really material anything that you have even yeah. bags that can be reused okay yeah, okay. Now, cards and decorations. Yeah, so again, I think with the cards, you know, seeing if you can use, if, if you can make your own maybe out of paper that's fully recyclable. Again, being wary of the Christmas cards that have the glitters and sequins because it, there's lots of different um lots of different kind of ways that they can be recycled that we talked about different recycling companies so it's not just an across the board decision so you know using you know paper maybe making your own cards then when it comes to like Christmas tree decorations again just you know they're fine once you reuse them year in year out the biggest problem is single use and I think around Christmas time 
we're, I hope we're moving away from it. But for a while, for a while there, there was such a focus on single use. Like I remember even seeing um, on a television program on I think one of the evening shows, maybe on one of the stations here a couple of years ago, that it was the idea that you could make up your Christmas table for Christmas dinner and use disposable cutlery and disposable plates and disposable cups. And then at the end of the day, all you have to do is wipe the table down and put it all in the bin, which is just bizarre like we just that's we just can't have that mentality anymore so using things again and again and again and be it be it decorations or whatever that may be what about the food itself i mean we all have food bins now or food caddies that go yeah 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 again just i think you know around the christmas season i feel like the biggest fear amongst people is that there's not going to be enough food and i don't know about you but there has never not been enough food around my Christmas table. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the, the shops close uh, on Christmas Eve and you, some people, you, they must be thinking they'll never open again. Absolutely. And as a result of that, we're wasting so much food. So as it stands before the Christmas season, we're wasting one third of all food, all food that's made in the world. One third of it goes to waste. So of the food that we waste in Ireland, the UK and America, just the food that we waste, a quarter of that could eradicate world hunger. A quarter. Of Give the me that, that again. Waste. So a quarter of the food that we waste in the UK, Ireland and America, a quarter of the food that we waste could wipe out world hunger. It could feed the nearly one billion people, starving people on the planet. Just anything Christ. that we waste. Which is, which is absolutely so unethical, you know, when you think of what's happening around the world right now and we're wasting food. Yeah. And around Christmas time, that increases by about 50%. Yeah. I guess we, it's we down, it is, it is as simple as, Taz, you know, you've got Christmas dinner for five people or four You don't need two stone of spuds. Absolutely, 100%. And if you do have the food left over the next day, you know, making the Christmas, the, the, the turkey soup or the turkey pie or freezing whatever leftovers that you have and using them throughout the year, you know, realizing that wasted food, it just, if you almost challenge yourself, you know, that you're not going to waste food this year. And even if that means, you know, if you've got a box of, of celebrations and it's always the bounties that are left in the bottom, but, you know, putting those bounties into a pie or a cake, right. you know, challenging yourself this year. That you're I, not I'll eat the bounties. I love, I, I'll there. eat the bounties. I, I love the bounties. What happened with me last Christmas was in our house, uh, the, the, the missus went down with COVID over the Christmas season and oh, she no. was upstairs in bed and I was down eating the entire ham myself in sandwiches. God. <laughs> I say you weren't very popular. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed it immensely. She just couldn't have any. Taz, there's so much, uh, so many good ideas there, but for people trying to decide now, I think come back to the Christmas tree one, for people who are trying to decide tomorrow's the 1st of December, they're off to get a tree, artificial or real? Definitely real, but if possible in a pot, okay? And on our Instagram page, The Useless Project, at The Useless Project, we have a list of retailers or kind of people all around the country who are selling trees and pots and renting them. So yep. check that out. All right, great. Thanks very much for that, Taz. Taz Kelleher of The Useless Project. And I was down at uh, Blackrock Hurling and Football Club. Long cash, as we used to call it, uh, on Saturday where I picked up my little, tiny, little, tiny baby tree. It's only three foot tall in a pot from Cullum uh, to Cork Christmas Trees. And the lovely, lovely, beautiful little formed and shaped tree and it comes in a little pot and we have it out the back with lights on it and we'll put it into a bigger pot and keep it. It's lovely, really lovely. And they've loads, they're there till the 12th of December, I think he was telling me at the weekend. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Yeah, we did sneak in the last set of foot solutions footsteps and we have some entries and we'll have lots of entries and we have a winner uh, just a couple of minutes before we head out but I want to catch up briefly with Laura Gannon down at Link. In lieu of your usual newsletter you have a good idea for the Christmas Laura, good morning. Good morning how are you doing PJ? Yeah so um, I suppose just to give you a bit of uh, background we have recently received funding through Rethink Ireland's Equality Fund to develop a new project called WorkLink. Um, and WorkLink's aim is really to support lesbian and bisexual women in the community with their education, training and employment goals. Um, we normally send out a, a newsletter the last couple of months, but we've decided this year uh, in lieu of that to develop an LGBTI plus uh, gift guide. So it's really just to promote and put a bit of light on maybe local artists, businesses, small businesses within the community and also businesses that are allies to the community that we can kind of circulate then um, to, to everyone that we work with. So yeah, we're really just trying to, to promote, as I said, LGBTI plus small businesses, artists, creators, give them a little bit of shine um, and, and get it out there. You've been beavering away down there at Link now for many, many years, doing doing great work. This is a very interesting, a, a very interesting development, though, that you've now got funding to do stuff like this. There was a time mm-hmm. when you didn't. Absolutely. Um, and I know the team here, like I've, I've just come in myself in the last few months, but um, obviously as a, as a product of, of this funding, um, and that's kind of what I'm here for, but I mean, the work that's done in Link with, with such a small team is amazing. I've even myself just been blown away by the work that gets done here and, and the amount of, you know, different things that are, are going on and, and work that's been delivered. And this is just kind of the next step for us. Obviously, we're we're really aiming at, at all ages and demographics, really just to make sure that people in the community are supported uh, with their with their goals around education, training and employment. And again, it's not just about people who are looking to aspire, it's about people who have already aspired and mm. and have gotten out there and, and as I said, developed their business, developed their ideas. Um, and we just want to shine a bit of light on them mm. as well and, and help support them. If people want to get involved in this gift guide, they can email you, can they? Yes, absolutely. So you can reach me at laura at link.ie. Um, we're kind of, as I said, we're speaking to a lot of a lot of small businesses at the moment. We've had a great response, great. but we are really eager to get more local uh, cork businesses on board. Um, so anybody that's interested, laura at link.ie, you have till Friday and we'll help you put a little blurb together or do one for you. Um, but again, just really to, to kind of gather as many small cork businesses as possible as well. Super. Great work. That's Laura Gannon uh, at link. Laura at link.ie if you want to get involved in that little initiative. Right. We did four footsteps after nine. We did eight after ten. And I just very sneakily dropped in three uh, there. So our total today with foot solutions was 15 footprints in the snow. And the winner of our 200 euro voucher is Caroline Green from Churchfield, who counted them correctly. The sneaky one is the best one. Tomorrow we might drop the sneaky one in the second hour. You never know. We're going to play around and have fun with it for the rest of the week with our friends at Foot Solutions Grand Parade. Give the gift of happiness to your loved ones this Christmas with a Foot Solutions gift card for your feet. The rest will follow. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 